This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by the Burgundy and Blue Broom Emporium. Need a clean sweep? Their high-quality models will provide you with the cleaning power you need to get the job done. For a mile-high finish, look no further than the Burgundy and Blue Broom Emporium. You'll feel like a conference champion. Reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am the voice of Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Earl, are you cup crazy? I'm just crazy. <laughs> also joining our starting lineup is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, are you cup crazy? I'll call it cup fever. Cup fever it is. When we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs were about to face off against former friend of the show, Tyson Berry, along with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the rest of the Edmonton Oilers in Game 1 of the Western Conference Finals, marking the first time since 2002 that the Avs would advance this deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Many had high expectations of a high-scoring series, and Game 1 certainly lived up to that billing. There were a total of five goals in the first period alone, beginning with Evander Kane's first, and as future events would later prove, his last of the series, just past the five-minute mark of the frame. 
JT Comfort would tie the game 36 seconds later, and Nathan McKinnon would give the Avs their first lead towards the later stages of the first. Zach Hyman would not things with just under half a minute left in the frame, but Kale McCarr would counter with a handful of seconds later to put the Avs back ahead, 3-2 heading into the intermission. Edmonton head coach Jay Woodcroft would challenge that goal for offside, but the goal wound up standing, which would put the Avs on the power play. Nazem Kadri would make good on the man advantage early in the second, giving the Avs a two-goal cushion. Ryan McLeod would put the Oilers back within one off a rebound off Dar- Darcy Kemper's right pad, but Mikko Rantanen and JT Confer would score less than two minutes apart to put the Avs ahead by three. That would prove to be the end of the night for Mike Smith, having now surrendered six goals on 25 shots to that point in the game. However, that would also spell the end of the night for Darcy Kemper, whom the Avs would later say would leave the game due to an upper body injury. Unfortunately, this would also later prove to be the last we would see of Darcy Kemper against these Oilers, as Pavel Francouz would play out the remainder of this game and, as mentioned, the series. We're not done with the goals yet! Andrew Cogliano would score late to put the Avs ahead by four, but Connor McDavid would trim the lead just over 30 seconds later to bring the Oilers back within three. In the third period, the Oilers would get some life-off goals by Derek Ryan and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins to pull within one, and with Mikko Koskinen on the bench late, Gabe Laniscog would make good on the empty net to seal it for the Avs. Final score in a wild game one, Avs 8, Oilers 6, and the Avs would take a 1-0 series lead. Wow. Yeah, this this game a lot happened, and it also feels like it was about a month ago. <laughs> yeah, this was a this was a circus game. And I think if you look back on this game and kind of compare it with um Game six between Tampa and New York last night. That kind of shows everything that was kind of right uh, with this series and everything that's that's been wrong with most series in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, this was fun. I know it was stressful, uh, especially when those goals started going in in the third period, but um, it was fun. Um, I think hockey needs more of this in the playoffs rather than a two-woman drudge vest. I still wouldn't say that that type of game was showing the Avs at their best because their whole thing is to be able to score like that without it being total wide-open fire wagon. It's about puck pressure and puck possession and then being able to create off of that. So as much as it was was... Like, goals are fun, but I wouldn't have even called that game fun because that's what Edmonton wants, and that was the concern at that point. And you know the narratives all started like, oh, my God, we're going to see 12 goals per game no matter what. And, and yeah, a little bit of it was like, this isn't playoff hockey. And, of course, those viewpoints should be challenged because, like you said, it doesn't have to be totally the other end of the spectrum the two-to-one snooze fest, but I also don't think low-scoring game is necessarily boring, but yeah, that Tampa game last night was boring. Yeah, um, I mean, they don't have to be boring, but um, you know, I, I think I, I think having a good, a good mix of circus games like this, you know, with some more um, you know, sort of in control hockey, I guess, makes for an interesting series. I think it just when it's every game is two to one, three to two, that you're just kind of like, 
you're not grabbing me. This is not something I can show to friends of mine to make them like hockey. Oh, sure. It's nice for the casual fans to see goals, the offense, but it's almost like the exact opposite of what the problem was with Dallas, that they suppress and they stifle the game so much. It makes it a coin flip because you're taking away every single other advantage the other team has. And I feel like what Edmund tries to do is the exact opposite. They just want it so wide open that they're also taking away the other team's advantage because I don't think the abs were a slam dunk to win a fire wagon series. It would have been a lot closer to point flip. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this game was sort of equal parts of both teams not being able to do what they wanted. Um, and it, it was very situational as far as, you know, we've just got to get the next goal kind of mentality rather than like, you know, let's control this period and move on to the next one kind of thing. We're thinking more three to five minutes in the future rather than pointing. Um, one thing I really liked about this game was, you know, Hyman scores at the end of the first period and just like, oh, man, uh, going to the room, time 2-2, two, two, I mean. And then McCarr pulls off that play and you're just like, oh, my God. And then they challenge it and lose. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then they... Yeah, scored on that power play. Yeah, and then Nas scores 30 seconds into the second period or whatever it was. And, you know. Yeah, it hurts. I mean, like, those things aren't fire wagon to me. You know, it's like Kane scores, Comfort answers right back. You know, uh, Hyman scores, McCarr answers right back. And, and, you know, you sort of had that kind of thing. Like, I don't don't think that was as much fire wagon as just sort of punch-counterpunch. Well, I love that McCarr can do that. He's done that several times, and that's part of what makes him special. Because he could, it, it seems like he can always will himself. And you'd say, like, gee, sometimes it'd be nice he could will himself at other points. But just to be able to do it at all is just such a special quality. And you're just like, here comes McCarr, and he's just going to stab you. And that's what he did. <laughs> well, it's just and, I- I mean, you just got the impression that, that Edmonton was just sort of like, oh, cool, drop the puck and skate around for a couple minutes and, or a couple seconds, and, you know, that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like- you know, the, the conversation we were having today um, on, on Discord about faceoff winning, like, that that went into that a lot because, like, that wasn't that, – that was an Edmonton faceoff win. And – McCarr skates up and takes the D-man where normally like the wing would do that, but that's, you know, they, they sort of, they had a play on um, and he ends up capturing the puck and going in there and just blowing by everybody. Um, so that's, that's one of those cases where like, if you have a set play, it's almost better if you're, if you concede it right off the bat. You say, like, all right, we're going to gain ground if they hike the puck back, and we'll just attack it from there rather than going back in our own zone and not having quite as much time. Well, yeah, and at that point, the puck was in the neutral zone, so it's like... Right, it was just it was just on this side of the blue line. 
But I do feel like that play counting was like payback for us because it was like, didn't that rule basically start when we got screwed against Chicago with the Jonathan Tays tag up and all this and that? It was like, we finally got paid back for that. <laughs> You'd much rather have it in this situation than random game against crappy Chicago. Yeah. So, I mean, admittedly, I don't have every single nuance of offsides down. So that, that that's not something I'm going to die on the hill of, of certain things. But it makes sense the way that they explained it. It, it was that he wasn't touching it. Yeah. And then as that allows an extra second or half second for the play to be on side, which makes perfectly sense to me. And then I've also seen articles, several examples of where a goal is counted in that you know, circumstance. And there's like, well, that's not the spirit of offside. And it's like <laughs> it having isn't. a guy exit the ice that has nothing to do with the play is also not in the spirit of offside either. <laughs> like right. the car was onside the entire time. The puck was onside. It was all just about the guy not even in the play tagging up. Right. And they didn't give they didn't give McCarr much credit for that play. They were just like, oh, well, he just didn't happen to touch it. You know, not like he was trying to do it that way. And it's like oh, he's yeah. looking no, right he knew. at yeah, exactly. He's looking right at the guy who needs to tag up, like right at his skate. And as soon as it touches the blue, he's just like, okay, here we go. Yeah, I mean, he explained it. He said he didn't. And of course, it just happened split second. But he said he he kind of felt like they needed a little bit of time to clear the zone. Right. So that's why he just sort of delayed as much as he could. Yeah, I mean, it, and it worked. The Oilers weren't putting pressure on him. You know, immediately, such that, you know, he had that half second to wait. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think it's great that, like, technical things like that end up being a big deal. But if it goes our way, fine. Yeah. Like I said, we finally got paid back. I remember being so perplexed when that happened against Chicago. Like, how did that even make sense? Yeah. It seemed, at the time, it seemed like they just made up that whole part about, like, oh, well, if you're not touching it, then yeah. it doesn't matter. But, you know, now it's come full circle. And like I said, it, there's been other examples between now and then. So it's like, yeah, th this is how they interpret it. And it, it makes sense to me. But the whole, like, oh, Edmonton got screwed. It's like, no, this isn't a new interpretation of that. It's not just that. I mean, coaches it. coach guys to be on the lookout for that. And, you know, they say, like, you know, if you can wait to touch it and give your guy that half second, then well, there's a good chance this will be stuck. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's good to have that awareness and it goes your way. Like, a few things have, a few maybe you could say borderline stuff has gone our way, which, you know, we'll get to in game four, but <laughs> um, sometimes you need that. You need a little bit of a lucky bounce <clears throat> as far as, you know, getting a few of these close calls to go our way. Um, but I do think they called it right. I mean, I, 
I don't think it was really that gray in that aspect. Like that's how they interpret the rule. And yeah, I mean, outside of Edmonton fans, I don't think anyone's got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of problems, um, Darcy Kemper, we never found out what exactly was wrong, whether it was a holdover from his eye problem, whether he went to protocol for some reason or something like that, or whether it was something he was suffering from throughout the game. And that's why he, you know, ended up letting in, you know, a few goals. Um, it's, it's weird that this is, you know, I don't want to say it's a pattern because he, he did manage to make it through most of the, he managed to make it through the, the blue series, but Frank has now closed out two series. Um, you know, well, you, I also you, think you got to wonder what was up there. We also missed time uh, a couple times. I know for sure with the concussion once. I can't remember all the instances. The one time where he just vanished in Toronto, there there was when Greenway clipped him, and then yep. the equipment issue. So I don't think it's unfair to say there is a pattern. Is it his fault? Is that just the way he is? Thinking these playoffs, you know, it's been you know two series. Twice, right? The backup has had to to come in and close out the series. And hmm. I lean more towards I, I think maybe concussion protocol. Maybe it had to do with taking those shots up high. But we also don't know. It was funny because he had an equipment issue at the beginning right. of that second period, and then when he left, everyone was like, "Oh, well, it's got to be that." <laughs> And well, I don't, you know, I, I was actually thinking at the time because, you know, I had heard kind of, you know, this had happened. It, it looked more like he was late getting back to the ice and he was just putting his pads on in the in the um, tunnel there. Yeah, he was. I mean, no, they definitely showed that. They, it, that part particular thing at that time was equipment. I think. No, well, what I'm saying is, it, maybe it wasn't equipment. He just didn't have his equipment on because he was getting treatment or having dealing with something. Like he was late coming out because he was with the trainers until the last minute. No, no, because I think they showed him on the ice, and then it, then he was like fiddling with his skate. Like it, it was the same thing, sort of as the other thing, where it was the tie, the pad to the skate again. Like he went. It wasn't that he was late. He he already had been on the ice. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. When they skated out for the second period, he literally was the last person to get on the ice. The entire complement of the the uh, the five on five uh, or the the five man power unit was there. Everybody was on the bench. They were just waiting for him to come back from the locker room. And I was what you know. And I have a great view from my seats of where where the Avs would have been uh, at that point defending. So he should have been right there in the crease, and he's usually out there right away, you know, scraping up the, the blue and getting ready to go. And it was just really peculiar. Like, what's going on? Why? What happened? Is yeah. is there something going on with his equipment? Is what if it's an injury? How come Frank's not out there getting warmed up? And then he just rushes out there and scurries into the crease. Like, oh well. Maybe I just remember them equipment. showing the clip of him being on the ice and leaving, but like I said, this is also the mercy of TV, so who knows what they piece together, but and then, didn't they ask, they asked somebody, because of course they haven't even talked to 
hadn't talked to him until a couple days ago, but I think someone said he had like an issue with the skate. I don't know. You're saying it could have been because he was rushed or he was covering something up. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Just, you know, in retrospect. Um, but it, I mean, it could that could have been totally unrelated too. And, and, you know, right, because we like have he no hasn't way had of equipment going. issues before, so <laughs> right. it's just like okay. But for me, I refuse to believe that he had been dealing with whatever it is the entire Blue series. Because I mean, maybe he wasn't. I mean, could have happened in practice. Um, could have happened in the first period. I mean, there's. Any number of things it could have been that, that nobody picked up on on the broadcast or, or whatever. Um, but you just kind of wonder, you know, it, if it was something that he was a little iffy going into the game, you know, maybe that's why the Avs went out in a little bit fire wagon. Because, you know, I, I think we go back to the fall. Um, you know, sort of before he settled into the system, like that's kind of how they had to play because they weren't too sure about him, you know? I don't, but if you felt that way, then they'd be more fire wagon for Frank, and they're not. I think they actually play more con more conservative, if anything. I'm just saying that one game. You know, if they knew coming into the game that that you know, maybe com maybe temper had an issue. Um, I don't know. I mean, like you'd think if it was anything more than like, you know, he's going to be ninety eight percent. But let's just make sure that that he's okay. That they would have put Frank in, but uh, I just don't know. But it, I, I mean, I just I, the the whole thing is so weird. Um. Because when it happened, you're just like, okay, you know, they're putting Frank in and, you know, he'll play this game and then, you know, Kemper will be back for the next one. And that's, you know, he was just gone. You know, he, he was gone for the rest of the series. So it, it just it makes me feel like we're missing something here that, I mean, you know, probably. No way to find out. Yeah. But I just. I think it's way too convenient just to write off the entire Blues series and say, oh, he was dealing with something. I mean, first of all, it's vision. To me, it's pretty black and white. Like, either you can see or you can't. Right. Or yeah. either, you can either track the puck or you can't. Like, it could be like, well, maybe it was bothering him and he was pushing through it. I mean, I don't know. I still think that's pretty black and white. Like, can you track the puck? <laughs> like, that is your number one job, basically. Right. And, okay, let's say, you know, maybe it was, and plus it was the eyelid, not the eye. So it was about swelling. Not that he was waiting for something to clear up vision-wise, but, you know, okay. It could be something like he gets to Edmonton and the pollen there gives him sort of allergy reaction in his eye or something. And that's, you know, that was just weird. But again, you know, it's like, that's not going to put you out for, sorry. Well, yeah, and it happened it's here. Something in, something in Denver with the pollen at that time, you know, the pines are going off or whatever. Sure, um, and, it, and it's true. We don't know all the details of everything, but I just refuse to believe. But it put him out for the whole series, so it just it doesn't seem like it was something, you know, minor. Right, or more of like something you can kind of 
that's bothering you that you can kind of try to live with. But I mean, yeah, he had I mean, kind of been declining through that blue series, like especially after say game five when he put up an eight thirty three. If he was dealing with it then, you know that it was acknowledged it something was bothering him. You can't just play him. Like at some point, you should have pulled the plug. Especially after game five. Right. So this is why I'm saying I just don't buy it. I don't buy that they sat there and they were like, well, our goalie can't really see that great, and we just totally screwed this game up. But you know what? We're going to keep playing him. Right. I just I don't believe that. I believe, if not the entirety, the great majority of what his issue was came up during that game one. Yeah. And that's just the frustrating part because as far as we know, it's a non-contact thing. Um, you know, maybe there was a hit. You know, I, I you know, we we can't see the whole game. I mean, Vlad high above the game, even you know, you, you haven't said like, oh well, he got you know a little bit of a push from somebody or other at some point. I mean, it's just like nobody did pointing. take a couple shots up high. Like I think there was one that definitely hit off his mask. Yeah, and it, you know maybe that could have caused a little bit of. You know, ring the bell a little bit, a little bit of uh, symptoms that come up. Because, you know, kind of like, is, then he was able to back up on Monday. So that was almost like a week. Now, that's kind of how long concussion protocol kind of takes. And you do take it step by step. Like, you skate, he took some easy work, and then he was more like full practice. That's kind of like how concussion recovery goes. Especially if the symptoms clear up pretty quick. Then you just kind of like, all right, this is fine. This is fine. I, I'm good to go. But it's true. We don't know. It is all speculation. But I'm not just writing off. Like, every time he lets in and go, oh, it's the eye. Whatever. It's not his fault. Like, to me, he just gets so many excuses. And, like, every time Frank lets up a goal, it's like, oh, that's why he's a backup. <laughs> it's like, have you? do we need to go back through all the goals that Kemper has let in to these playoffs? <clears throat> Like, I've always yeah. felt those two were a lot closer in ability than I think many people give them credit for. I do think at his best, Kemper is really good, like when he had that stretch uh, the second half of the season. But, you know, if he's not 100% on top of his game, I think it is pretty close to a toss-up. Yeah, they're both very different. That's the, It's tough to really compare them side by side. Cause it's just, you know, Frank doesn't have Kemper's size. And Kemper doesn't have sort of the the speed and awareness that, that Frank seems. But, but yeah, anyway, good, this good is for Frank to come in. I mean, it, I also think that what he's had to do has been such a tough task that he doesn't really get credit for. Like coming in cold twice, he's won every single game he's played in the playoffs. And yeah, he's got a pretty good team in front of him, but still won every game. He got a shutout. He closed out two series on the road. Like he's gotten the job done. Yeah. And obviously, like you know, after I, I, I don't I don't think it was his best performance. After he got in there, and now you know, I mean, it's you know, giving up goals to McDavid and a power play goal and things like that. I mean, you're gonna have that, um, but it just 
you know, he, he was better later on, let's say. Yeah, I mean, the game one was tough because that was just, like you said, the circus game. You're really going to pin that on him. Like, the abs are just trying to hold on at that point. I'd say game, obviously, the shutout, even though he didn't have a lot of work. I mean, a shutout in the playoffs is a shutout. And game three, I think he was pretty good. And and then game four, you could say, like, I I didn't really think it was his fall until, like, four and five were probably a little, little more on the iffy side, but... You know, you could go through all the Kemper's bowls that he gave up to. What I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, I think I think they're they have more than just a backup ready to take over, and he's had to do it several times. Not even just in the playoffs in, in the season. It's like, well, something weird's going on with Kemper. We need you, Frank, and he's he's stepped in and he's he's more than held the fort down. Yeah, well, that was a fun game. I, I'm glad it didn't pretend what the entire series was like, but I, I think it was nice to see that two teams could go at it in a conference final and you know, not just play that grindy 2-1 kind of hockey. I still say goals are fun, but I, I do like it when they're in a little bit more control. I think that makes you feel a little bit better about the team, at least from my standpoint. It's fun when you get goals to go up uh, seven to three. It's less fun than when you get up three <laughs> more to <laughs> have that lead significantly uh, <laughs> diminished. Yeah. I didn't watch that third period live because I was like, I thought they'd win, but for me, there comes a point when you kind of feel like you've seen all the good. And at that point, you just want to know, do we do the thing or not? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about, you know, when I stop watching. Because it's like, I don't really need to see the white knuckle. Just give me the score at that point. I did rewatch it, though. So just a little bit of stats grazing here from that first game. We had uh, Mikko Rantanen with a goal and assist. We had JT Confer with two goals. Uh, Gabe Landeskog, a goal and assist. Kale McCarr, a goal and three assists on this uh, particular evening. Just good because I think, what, Kale only had like four points in the St. Louis series. So he uh, got that all in game one. Back on track. Actually, it looks like it's Makar that had a goal and two assists. So originally, they had him they had him credited with an original assist. I think on the uh, I think it might have been in the McKinnon goal, and then they or the, uh, the the Confer goal. Yeah, they took one assist away from him, and so it looks like it's a goal and two assists. So three point night for for Kale, which is still pretty good. Yes. Uh, both teams were uh, even on the power play, both going one for two. A theme that would uh, see some shifting as we would continue to move along this series. And we move along into 
game two, which would not provide the same, quite the same level of excitement in terms of the score sheet. But we did get to see the Evs put on an absolute masterclass in all areas of the ice from start to finish in this one. Pavel Francouz would stop all 24 shots on goal, and the Avs would get goals from Arturi Lekkinen, Josh Manson, Mikko Rantanen, and Nathan McKinnon, that one on the man advantage. While Nazem Kadri would have a three-assist performance as the Avs would roll to a 4-0 shutout victory at a 2-0 series lead. This was just absolute domination from start to finish. I have never seen the Avs play such a complete game like this before. It, it was it looked just crisp and clean and effortless. It was just, what do you do if you're Edmonton and you have the best player in the world? And that's what your end result is. You get nothing. I think that's exactly what they needed, right? Because there was like two days of, you know, neither team knows how to play defense. And, you know, they even opened the press conference questions with like, well, Gretzky says you have to have defense to win. What do you say about this, you know? And um, I think oh, it was Wayne great. to have another beer. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it was great that they came out and, like you said, they dominated. They had complete control. You know, it was just them saying, you know, we are not just the fire wagon team. Like, this is how we want to play. And to get the only shutout of the playoffs exactly after and then holding – McDavid and Dreisaitl off the scoreboard entirely, and I think it was such a statement. Like, to me, game one wasn't the statement. Like, this was the statement. And I remember, I think it was scoreless after the first. Um, but then the, the second is when they scored those goals quickly. And then, yeah, it was nice to see McKinnon get the power play goal. And then I remember the third period... You know, you kind of think like, okay, Edmonton's re- going to really push, but they had nothing. Like that third period, probably Bednar's going to like tape and just show on a loop in training camp next year. Just like, just how they can shut it down. It, like Edmonton wasn't doing anything. And maybe they were a little bit shell-shocked because I don't really think they had that much of a push. But, I mean, the Avs just took care of business so well and... For me, that was really satisfying. Three goals in, what, two minutes and four seconds? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that yeah, really I mean, I, kind of shell shocks the team. Well, I mean, I think the first period was probably a little less awesome than we're remembering it because, um, I mean, I think Edmonton actually controlled it more than we give them credit for. They took a bunch of dumb penalties. We got the five on three that we blew. And you're kind of thinking after the first zero zero, you're like, I don't know. Um, but they did score those three goals really quick. And, you know, that's nice, but it, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's a criticism to say, like, well, it would have been nice if they spread it out a little bit more. And, you know, they had the three goal lead. But that was, it was sort of, I don't know, concerning that outside of that three-minute stretch, they really didn't have anything. Uh, they had seven power plays. Max sort of, you know, meaningless goal in the third was the only power play goal. But I guess it's no secret that the special teams really haven't been in their favor at all. 
Um, but the, you know, the the way they dominated that third, like you said, Jackie, it's just, I mean, it, it Edmonton just had nothing. I mean, they just couldn't enter the zone. And when they did, the puck was out immediately. Um, the Avs had great offensive zone, possession. Uh, they weren't, I, I don't think they were really uh, trying to generate shots as much as they were trying to cycle and grind them down. And, you know, Edmonton just didn't have an answer for it. Frank had one moment of uh, a little bit of white knuckling for the crowd when he wandered out of his crease to play a puck and <laughs> kind of ran out of time and space. <laughs> it all worked out, of course, but I'm sure that's probably what apps fans were not expecting to see. I think after this one, you start thinking like, oh, yeah, they, uh, they might really win this series. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I think after this game, we were all kind of like, well, he's going to do something stupid next game. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <I'm> right. <clears throat> well, speaking of stupid, <laughs> <laughs> Evander Kane would get called for a five-minute boarding major on Nazem Kadri just over, what, a minute 40 into the game? Yeah. The Oilers already got their first goal within the first 38 seconds uh, with uh, Connor McDavid getting the uh, jump on Pavel Francouz and giving the Oilers a ton of momentum. And then that happens. Uh, so Kadri, who was considerably, you know, a considerable distance away from the boards, would be on the wrong end of, of that completely unnecessary and absolutely blatant cross check, got sent into the boards, and he would not return to the game, and he wouldn't finish the remainder of the series due to what was later revealed to be a broken thumb. On the other hand, Kane was allowed to finish at least this contest. Not the next one! No. Valeri Nichushkin <laughs> would tie the game for the Avs late in the first off a shot that would deflect off the stick of Oilers defenseman Darnell Nurse. Nichushkin would then put the Avs ahead early in the second to give the Avs a lead, but Ryan McLeod would tie the game off a knuckler in the high slot that would elude the glove of Franzos. Just over five minutes later, the Avs would dial up 8-7-7 goal now, and JT Comfort would answer with a shot that would make Mike Smith just do Mike Smith things, trickle through the five-hole, and the Avs are back ahead 3-2. The Oilers would pull Smith for the extra attacker late, but Miko Rantanen would come through with a big defensive play at the blue line and would reap the reward with an empty net tally to give the Avs a 4-2 victory and a 3-0 series lead. Yeah, I think it's nice to note, too, that Nuke's goal in the first period was their only shot attempt at 5-on-5. Five five. I mean, he was behind the net. He wasn't even, like, a real jump attempt. I mean, the Oilers just should have had this game, flat out. Yeah. Like, so many things went their way, that scoring immediately, and then it was McDavid, right? I mean, that's, like, exactly what they need, and... Taking Kadri out, killing the five minute plus. I think was there two more penalties after that. It was like absurd, and then the um, and they just couldn't get it done. Like this should have been their game, and and then when they tied it, and then Comfer got the the goal as he was coming out of the penalty box. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's just <laughs> such a dagger and. 
you know, especially credit, when it was such a poor save by Smith too. <laughs> and full credit to him. I mean, he he won that battle. I think it was Richard. He won that battle, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Smith should have had that and didn't. And and that was the game. So it, it was pretty close to like what could go wrong will go wrong, and then they still won it. Definitely made you feel like, and at that point they're up three to nothing. It's just like, you know, they have this in the bag, I guess. <laughs> right. I mean, I think if you're Edmonton, I mean, you got everything you wanted to. I mean, you're in your home barn finally. McDavid scores less than a minute into the game. You know, and then Kane just does a really selfish thing. Um, you know, not even in regards to what happened to Nas. I'm just, you know, doing a really dumb play when you've got all the momentum. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I do think there was <laughs> there was some karma in there, especially with Nuke's first goal and Confer getting a, a screamer and, and things like that. Um, yeah, Nuke's goal was tipped in by, <laughs> was it Nurse or someone? Yeah, Nurse, we went right off of Nurse's stick. And then Nurse had a puck over glass earlier in that period as well. Um, you know, there's just a lot of dumb in there. And, you know, it's like, I'll be, like going down 3 nothing. like you're screwed. You're not going to win the series. I mean, it just, it never happens. So they knew that, like, if they didn't have this game, that you know, the party's over. And I mean, I, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, think me, losing I, this way with so many stupid things yeah. that you could have stopped. Um, you know, that, that I just I think they're going to look back at this game and really, really hate it over the summer. That's just the kind of thing you really don't think about too much. For me personally, I think the hit on Sam was worse than the hit on Kadri. But, you know, one's legal, one isn't. Um, it's a little weird to me, but, I mean, I could I could see why they suspended him. I can see why it was a major. It, like you said, it's a very blatant cross-check. I'm sure they spoke to either him or Woodcroft after that game, after game two, and just like... Um, you know, this is really blatant stuff. So, you know, if you're going to keep doing blatant stuff, we're going to keep calling it. So, don't. <laughs> it's like Kadri got hurt on the fall, not on the cross check. Not, I yeah. mean, the hits like that happen by the boards fairly often, and the, and it is dangerous. It is reckless, but a lot of dangerous and reckless stuff get, gets up, goes uncalled. And, right. um, he had the classic cyclist broken thumb where you put your arms out when you're falling try to stop yeah. yourself either break your collarbone or you're going like I was surprised at the time when they called it a major now I wasn't surprised when he was suspended because you know that they call a major and it stands they're going to look at it but I wasn't surprised it was only one game though I was kind of surprised they didn't reduce it just because we've seen, you know, we, we've seen that a, a couple times during the playoffs where something looks pretty bad at real speed and then they go look at it and reduce it. Yeah, I mean, like I, I said, still that, think that is not the worst hit I've seen. And 
you know, and maybe it was easier to call because it's pretty textbook. So yeah. there were a lot of boxes to check right away, but. You can I tell mean, just because all the old school guys are like, you just don't do that. So <laughs> this one's not going to play well. Which is crazy to me. Like I said, I, I have way more issue with different kinds of hits. And I, I mean, mean I, I hate that hit because that's, that's the hit that paralyzes guys. Well, he you know, didn't go straight in. Right, but he it's was, just that that sort of distance from the boards and straight from, into the numbers kind of thing. You know, and, and, and Kadri, to his credit, like, I, not only was he lined up a little bit better than straight on, but he also kind of did the Captain Kirk role as best he could. <laughs> But hey, I'm not. Hey, I'm not trying to defend Kane or anything. It's just, I don't know the the whole optics and the whole opinions of hits is is a little bit crazy to me, honestly. Like, you know, Bo got hit like that against the Wild, and it was a penalty. It was a two minute penalty, but like nobody really cared. <laughs> so, I yeah, mean, right. it's a little weird to me. I think if you're looking at the playoffs as a whole, it's like, like. The other night when Trubo like waved his elbow at Palat's head and missed, like you're just looking at it like you don't, you guys don't get it, right? Like he does this all the time and you're still not <laughs> calling it. <laughs> That's not good hockey. That's not legal. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the Truba thing is baffles me too, really. It blows my mind. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> my my thoughts on hitting and the league's thoughts on hitting is definitely two different things. Let's put it that way. But, um, you know, obviously we didn't like to see Kadri go down. He had the surgery quickly. We'll see. I mean, I definitely think he will play at some point. I think that's just kind of obvious. But to what capacity, what is he able to do? I bet he's better than Strom was last night. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the good thing is he can skate. Yeah, so, and Strom couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously he needs his hands for face off. He probably won't take face offs. That's fine. But you know, can he handle the puck? Can he do any any kind of shooting? Because at some, as much as he wants to be out there and the team wants him to be out there, you have to. You can't be a liability. You have to be better than whoever they'd replace you with. Oh, please, not Magna. <laughs> like I'll stop. You know, talking about how, like, you know, they actually cared about development, it might matter. But if you play Megna in the Stanley Cup Finals, that's back on the table. So just <clears throat> do it, please. <laughs> but, um, yeah, missing, losing Kadri was a big piece, but, you know, I've still have a lot of other good players. Yeah. And they had a three-nothing lead, so I, I think I, I think that sort of gave them the ability to um, not have to panic about that, and they they were able to play around with some lines. Yeah, like like you said, the big picture, three to nothing, is pretty much over. But 
know, when you're in the moment, you're also thinking like, okay, yeah, at this point they probably are going to win this series, but you're like, you just don't make it tough, please. Just if there had been a game five, that wouldn't have been a big deal. But like to even go back game six to Edmonton would have been like, there's just no need for this. <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, going back to Edmonton for a game six would have been tragic. It's like we've been through the scenario where you kind of blow at me elimination game like game five against St. Louis. Um, I, I think they definitely didn't want to do that again. <laughs> they almost did. Um, but, you know, it, it's... I think it, it made it easy for them to be aggressive in game four. Yeah, it made sense because um, you know, like I think McKinnon said it that Edmonton that was their season for them. The worst thing that could happen is they go back home for Gate Five. Yeah. So there wasn't anything to really be scared about. No. Game four would see the F stare down the possibility of their second sweep in these playoffs. Evander Kane, as we've already briefly touched upon, would not be playing in this contest as he wound up being suspended for his boarding major against Kadri in Game 3. Things started out looking good with Kale McCarr getting things going on the power play early in the first. The Oilers would push back in the second off goals from Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and a power play goal by Connor McDavid to take a 3-1 lead after the second period. Devon Taves would pull the Avs within one, just over 30 seconds into the third, but Hyman would put the Oilers back ahead by two a short time later. Gabe Laniscog would crash the crease and let the puck pass Mike Smith to pull the Avs back within one. And Nathan McKinnon would tie the game on a beautiful rush play to beat Smith up high. Mikko Rantanen would then put the Avs back ahead on a power play goal. But Zach Cassian would take advantage of a shot that would trickle through Pavel Francouz and tuck the puck into an open cage to tie things at five with under five minutes left in regulation. We would go to overtime to finish this one, but thankfully, the Avs only needed a minute and 19 seconds to do it. Kale McCarr would take a shot at the blue line upon winning a faceoff in the Edmonton zone. Archer Elekinen would knock this down the shot and get open near the top of the crease to beat Mike Smith for the game winner. And that is all she wrote. Final score in overtime, Avs 6, Oilers 5. The Brooms strike again, and for the first time since 2001, the Colorado Avalanche have become the Western Conference champions and are heading to the Stanley Cup final to face off against old friend Pierre-Edouard Belmar and the two-time defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, I Admittedly, I thought they were done when they went down by two. Like, I always felt like if the Avs are within one, they're like in, within striking distance. But when they got down two, it was like, you know, maybe this just isn't their night again. Like, every night isn't going to be their night. Um, but then they started that third period and they got that goal right away. So you're like, oh, okay, we're, we're back within one again. You know, the Avs could do this. And then when they went down four to two, it was just like, you only have so many arrows in the quiver, right? <laughs> like you can only do this so much, but um, like we just said, you know, the, the pressure was on Edmonton to save their season, and you know, when the Abs push and and get that pressure, and, and they can get goals like that. They got goals from pretty much everyone, and, uh, and McKinnon had had another one of his duties, so that was lovely. <laughs> And um, 
it was, and then Miko finally got the goal, right? It was just like Miko has to score a real goal and he gets it. And then um, and they gave it up again. But I did feel like it was advantage abs in overtime, though. Like, if they could just get it to that point where it's one goal wins it, I like the abs in that scenario because I do think that they could be the first team to generate a goal. And thankfully, it didn't take long. <laughs> the abs had the only shots in overtime. So, a whole whopping two of them, but they made them count. <laughs> so as annoying as the game was, it did kind of feel a little bit like, you know, Dallas game seven. But the good thing is it wasn't game seven. And it was just just game five on the table. So why not? <laughs> why not generate a goal? And then um, then Lekkonen doing it. I mean, how crazy is that, right? <laughs> <laughs> to have... The game, the the goal that sends the team to the Stanley Cup Finals, and not only that, but in overtime, you can't even script that stuff. For the second year in a row, <laughs> yeah. but good for him. I mean, he is that type of player. He just shows up, and he's always around the puck, and you know, just smart play by him to knock the puck down. And then, of course, we had we had to have a review. And, like, my husband jokes all the time when they have score goal. He's always like, oh, goalie interference. Like, he's just pretty much teasing me. <laughs> like, he always does that, though. Like, anytime we're watching, <laughs> even if it, it's remotely goalie interference or not. But, you know, that's kind of the panic that this sport has given you now. Is like, every time there's a goal, but you're always kind of thinking, is it? And then they had to review this one. It was like, no, you know, you just want to be happy, right? You want to be excited and celebrate. And you're just like, no, don't take this away. <laughs> but thank goodness. It was close, but there was not enough evidence to overturn that. I think the, the second period of this game was really frustrating for me. Um, the yeah, the Avs didn't play well in that second period. I See, I think they actually did until the last five minutes. Um, you know, it's like Nugent Hopkins goal, like that whole play just shouldn't have happened. And then, you know, poor Newhook throws the puck over the glass and McDavid scores to make it 3-1. Um, you know, you really didn't think that. Yeah, this, like the first is, two were breakaways. That, I mean, McDavid would post it in on the power play. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, all right, we're down 3-1 going into the, the third period. And, I, you know, a lot of the guys talked about after the game just how kind of loose they were in the locker room in between periods. And, you know, they're just like, you know, let's just go do this. And they did. Um you know, again, it, it took a lot, and they had to do that again after the third period and going into overtime. But, um, but I do think this you is know, it's like that kind of resiliency is not what we saw. You know, against San Jose, against Dallas, against Vegas. You know, it's like, and granted, you know, like that barrier has always already been crossed this year, so it's not the second second round curse or anything like that. But it's just they they didn't seem worried. Um, yeah, I mean, it might, it might have been a little different. It might have been a little different in a game seven, but you know, hopefully, you don't right. have to see that. But 
I do think like that's what this year was about learning. It was about learning like focus and mental toughness and but I really do think because the way they came back is like how they came back during the regular season. Like that stuff does matter. It matters. They always talk about belief. You have to believe that you can, that you're never out of it. It's one thing right. to say it, but to really truly believe that you can get it done. Yeah. And, and, and again, to contrast it with last night's Rangers uh, lightning game. They just had nothing. Yeah. You look at the last, like, I don't know why it took so long for them to pull the goalie, but they, they pulled the goalie oh, with a minute left. It was terrible. It, and, I mean, and they just didn't look team. like they had any confidence that they were going to be able to do it. I mean, they had like one play, throw it to Zibby and let him shoot. Everyone else <laughs> kind of standing around. And, you know, you look at that and you're like, they didn't believe, you know. They might have they been telling each other they believed on the bench and stuff like that, but you can tell just each guy there's something holding them back and they, they were kind of resigned that that wasn't going to happen. Well, it was yeah. very similar. Like, they won the first two games of the series, just like we had against Vegas. But it's like once the ball starts rolling the other way, there was nothing they could do to stop it. And I was waiting to see, like, okay, could they do anything in game five, come back home? And it was like, no. But yeah. you're right. I was watching the very end of that, too. Well, first of all, I think it's asinine that there's, like, some unwritten rule that you don't pull the goalie till 2.30. Which it, so he's like, what's the situation? Who has the puck? So they didn't even have control of the puck at 2.30. So you're already like, well, <laughs> tick, tick, tick. And it took them like a whole other minute to get the puck. And then the second they pulled Sirkin, what was the play they did? They dumped it in. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have ninety less than 90 seconds to do this and you're dumping the puck in. And it's, it's almost like nobody wanted the puck except for his advantage. And, but it... Uh, you know, that's just tough. And it, it, you just hate it. Hate to see like a, a team that's, you know, had a pretty good run like that. You know, first of all, they make the mistake kind of over the, you know, third, fourth, fifth games of the series of falling into the trap of playing Tampa's game and not playing their own. Now, granted, their own game is, is not that sustainable and that, but, you know, you kind of got to say to yourself, like, if we're going to lose, we're going to lose playing our way. It's definitely easier said than done, I think. And, and this is why I wanted to play the Rangers. I just thought the relative inexperience, like you said, falling into the trap of playing the other team's game. Our player didn't show up the whole playoffs. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, like, uh, I don't think Panarin did much after the first round. Yeah, like that. ghost the whole time. It's true. I even kind of forgot about him. So you're right. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like you had to keep saying to yourself, oh, that's right there. Ryder. Where's he? Did, been? He, did he score like 50 goals this year or something? Yeah. No, I mean, it's even in the Kane series where, you know, there was some good scoring and all that. Like he had a few goals in that series, but it just generally was just like, where is this? So, I mean, it would have been nice to play them, I think, but. I also see the point of like, A, you're trying to win a Stanley Cup, it shouldn't be easy. And B, there is that thing about if you want to be the best, beat the best. Kind of true for a reason, too. Yeah. And I think the biggest worries are 
you know, like we we saw the Panthers do this, we saw the Rangers do this, and we saw Toronto do this at least in Game Seven. Is falling into that trap of saying, "Well, these guys are just you know they're slow and they're clogging it up. We'll just kind of you know be a little slow with them." And you know, well, you know I if they do, the I don't think Bednar's saying it. Like I, I right. think he's pretty. You know, whenever the abs have tightened up, been conservative, like, oh, Benner's telling them. I'm like, I don't. I mean, you got to be a little bit smarter, right? You're going to dump it in more or whatever, but he doesn't want them to just start being passive. Well, I just, I, I, I think when you see a team that's trying to do that, you know, instead of trying to beat them at their own game, they're looking for ways like, how are we going to get them playing our game? You know, and I, I, you know, like I was telling you guys about the first game of each series, the Avs are they go on a huge shooting bender. You know, both in rate um, and rate against, and I think I, I think that reflects how Bednar wants to set the tone for each series. Like he's not going to play St. Louis's game. He's not going to play Nashville's game. He's not going to play the Oilers' game. He's going to go into it and say, look, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to show them what we can do. And after that, the threat is going to always be there. And we don't have to play that like that 60 minutes every night. But just the other team knowing that that's possible is going to help us immensely. And I mean, let's be honest, the Oilers is probably a pretty, I don't want to say easy, let's say favorable Western Conference final draw. Like, you probably should have a stronger team to face at that point, but... There wasn't one. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. Like, a team wins two series, they've earned it. And it's something that was very difficult for us to achieve. And, you know, you're there for a reason, but... You know, the path was laid out for the Avs, and it's a good thing that they took advantage of it. Yeah, and I'm just, I, I'm kind of glad that they played against an offensively minded team because it, it kept them in that offensive mindset. Like, you know, I, I don't think like playing a team similar to Tampa would, would help them prepare for that. Like, I, I think, I think probably the Blues were about as similar as you could get to Tampa in the Western Conference. And so I think, I like, what they take from that series um, could help them against Tampa. But, you know, even so, um, you know, I, I think their goal is going to be to go out there and be able to play at a high tempo and, and take advantage of Tampa's weaknesses. I think we saw that in the regular season. They were good games, but even though the Avs are missing players, I still think they looked the better team. Even, even in that first game in October when the Avs definitely weren't firing on all cylinders yet at that they point. They were probably at the nadir of the season. Yeah. <laughs> they still got it together and showed up and played a good game. And I, I remember they one in a shootout. That's when McCarr scored his first goal of the year in the shootout. Um, 
but I think they looked decent in that game. I remember, and then then the one in February they didn't have McKinnon, but what I remember that about that game is it was three to two and they shut it down in the third period. <clears throat> There'll probably be some tape of that shown <laughs> over the next couple days. Yeah, I mean, both teams look different now, but still. I, I just have a lot of confidence in their ability to exploit the lack of team speed. Um, Mazelensky is, is obviously a very good goalie. Um, I, I mean, I know that, like the goalie matchup looks really bad on paper, but I don't think the Avs have ever really been thwarted by good goalies. You know, they've played uh, a lot of good goalies. They've... You know, they generally get good goaltending against them. And I know the stat, like, in the aggregate, the goalies against the Avs are, like, at 888, which is bad. But, like, we've had good goalie performances against us. So, um, like I said, I don't really think the Avs are getting goalied by anyone. I don't think they're going to get goalied by Vasilevsky. It's just, you know, obviously you have to make enough saves on the other end for the guys. Right, and I, I, I do think that, you know, one thing that's that's been sort of a, a hidden talent for the organization is is the way that they scout goalies, and you know, and, and we've even seen you know sort of Mike Kelly from NHL. dot com, you know, showing like Vasilevsky has let in seventy percent of his goals, high blocker, yada yada yada, all kinds of data and that kind of stuff, and. It, I do think that's something that the Avs are able to use. You know, we saw like in the Nashville series when Ingram kind of goalied them in the second game that they came back and you know, scored seven on them the next game. So it's, you know, I, I don't think it's something that is a big worry. I mean, obviously, again, he's, you know, he's won the cup two years in a row. He's really worried about I, I think that with the talent the Avs have, they can, they can beat that. Here's hoping. <laughs> uh, so let's circle back to Game Four for a minute. Here, the uh, the Avs power play did finally show up for the uh, for Game Four, converting on both chances, going two for two after uh, being largely absent for large stretches of the uh, of the series. So it was good for them to finally get those chances and make them count in what turned out to be the elimination game here against Edmonton. I mean, yeah, it was fresh. The power play was definitely frustrating in game three. And then they, they finally did convert in game four, like you said. Um, still going to be a concern for me. But the more the games played at five on five, the better. I think it probably would happened that way in the cup finals, but it's like every power play you get that is just such a huge opportunity. And I know they were generating, like it, it was a matter that they wasn't, they weren't generating anything. So you would think at some point the dam's going to break. And I guess maybe technically it did, but that is something I do hope for. Like we're going to ever have the power play show up. We please have it show up this week. That would be great. You know, I, I don't know if it will or not. Um, I honestly would rather it not matter. Um, 
Well, I would hope it wouldn't either, but I mean, I think in general, you're just not going to see that many power plays. Um, you know, just that there tend not to be too many penalties called. But then it's like each one you get is such a big opportunity. They're not going to score that much. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, they've had to go against two pretty good PKs in the last two rounds. Like St. Louis has had a really good PK all year. Edmonton's has been really good since Woodcroft took over in the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously they they tore apart Nashville, and that that kind of inflates their stats because you know you hear oh, yeah, commentators like say things like, "Oh, it's the best power play in the league right now," and you're just like, "It's just because Nashville sucks." It's really infected. yeah. I think they had a forty percent power play against Nashville. So. <laughs> They went, they went up against the worst power play in the league, the worst PK in the league in round one, and then two of the best in the second and third round. So I think they basically reflect that. Uh, and I think their power plays, you know, I, I think they have the power plays good, um, but it's it's just not a difference maker. I think that's fair to say. You just hope it's not difference maker the other way. Um, I, I will say that his penalty kills gotten better too. Like they did do a decent job against the Oilers. Yeah, and, and against after St. They Louis adjusted, as well. I mean, yeah. like they run it, you know, both those teams have good special teams, both PK and PP. And, you know, they were, I think they were minus one on special teams against the Blues. I haven't looked at it from the Oilers, but, you know, it's like, yeah, Obviously, it didn't matter. Um, so, I, I think they've been good to playing to their strength. And they, if if you look at sort of the, the time on ice, five on five per game, and I know since you play five on five in overtime, that kind of skews stats. But it's like they they have the most five on five time per game of any of the teams. They're just not they're not playing a lot of special teams time, and I. Which is you know, good. That I continues think that's against good. Tampa. I think they're. I think they're going to be fine. Which is a little bit funny because they there was a lot of penalties in the regular season. Yeah, not them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just something you have to count on. There's probably going to be two penalties called on each team in each game during the final. It's more than that. It's it's for stuff that's out of the ref's control, like someone doing a real Hey, I'm good with more five and five time. Yeah, I mean, I... I do think that's how it, you know, how it should be determined. Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, a lot of people are saying the downside of that is like, well, if they're not calling penalties, then Tampa's going to be able to get away with touching, grabbing, and stuff like that. And I, I, I think one reason that might not matter is the Avs have been pretty good at ducking that stuff. You know, they, they do walk away from post-shot scrums. 
they are able to spin away from hits, dirty hits, whatever. Um, you know, they're. I don't know if they're trying not to make it a special teams battle. I mean, if they are, that's a smart thing. But they they seem to be focused on keeping the game at five on the bottom. Hey, and it's working, so even better. Uh, let's do some stars and scratches for the conference final. As always, you know, we're, we're talking about no losses here. It can only be so bad. Who wants to go first? I, mean, I think I I'll, take- I'll go first on this one. Okay. Okay. I am going to select Pavel Frenzos as my star. Wow, I like that. I, yeah. I really did want to give Frank some love on this show. So, um, yeah, I like that a lot. I mean, I think what he does seems to be kind of like expected. It's like, no, really. I mean, this guy has stepped up in a huge way. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough because Kemper played so little. We don't have any real comparison for the apples to apples about how they would have done, you know, comparatively in this series. But, you know, I, I, just, I don't see Kemper playing much better than Frank did. All right, we're we're going to be splitting some hairs here at this stage. You mean Frank put up a sh- put up a shutout at a sweep? Yeah. With with Kemper, maybe he doesn't get a shutout, but maybe there's a few less goals that go in in some of these games. So it's you're dealing on both sides of the razor with this one. If we look at the possibility of what we could have seen on on the side of Kemper versus what we actually did see with with Frank in this series. And like I often say, I mean, I just I, I think Kemper would have let in perhaps different goals, but probably not too differently as far as amounts. I think yeah. that's fair to say. Um, and I know, like Kemper, I, I think the Blues series was the harder series. I mean, I'm not going to say like it went six because of him. I just think it went six because it was a tougher matchup. Um, and, and St. Louis had nine different twenty goal scorers. They would they wanted <laughs> yeah. us to make sure everybody knew. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like I said, I've said before, Frank closed out two sweeps. So, you know, hard hard to improve on that. Like, you just want to check out the timeline where Frank's in there for the end of game five and see how that plays out. And I know the fancy stats, like Frank's probably, I think he's been a little bit better than Kemper overall in the playoffs. Um. Because Kemper's goals saved above expected took took a bit of a hit in the Blue series, <clears throat> so um, you know I think they're both equal up to the task. I mean, I definitely think Kemper's starting game one. I don't necessarily disagree with that either, but I just think I hope that they, depending on how this series goes, are open to evaluation because I I don't think it should just be his no matter what. Yeah, but they don't do that. So whoever starts is going to play the whole thing. Until <laughs> <laughs> I hope that doesn't come back to bite them. But all the articles like, gee, who's better going to start game one? I'm like, come on. <laughs> There's so I, I mean, mystery I, I, here, folks. 
like not knowing what Kemper was going through. Like I, I just don't know whether I can say like for sure. Like, you mean for sure that he's like hundred percent? Right. That it really is has been resolved, whatever it is. Right. Again, without knowing what it is, I really can't say. You know? Right. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would hope if they play him, they believe it's resolved. Let's just put it that way. I, but you, like, not knowing what it is, you can't say whether either Darcy knows if it's been resolved or the staff know it's been resolved or what. I mean, it, it could be something that they think is fine, and then suddenly he's out there in the middle of game one again, and it's just like, nope. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, well. We'll but, see. I, mean, I, I think it's it's a tough decision if there's any doubt in your mind as, as the like if I get I mean you yeah, have a no, doubt that Kemper is not one hundred percent and you have a guy that has closed out two series for you. Well then um, yeah, in that scenario I do hope that they would go with Frank then because there's definitely not enough difference between the two to go with an iffy Kemper. Okay, let me let me put this question forward. Uh, say that scenario plays itself out, where whatever this is with Kemper does not resolve itself, and he does get hurt at some point early on in this series, like he did in the conference final. Frank goes in, and we'll we'll extrapolate here. However long this series runs, uh, but the Avs get it done. Does that make a case for Pavel Frenzos to be nominated for a hmm. Smythe? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, hmm. I, if Matar hadn't been doing what he did in, um, throughout the playoffs, and I realized like you know, he wasn't he, he wasn't as evident in the Blue Series, which again I think was was far tougher than the other two. Um, you know, right, right now for me, Matar would be. The Smith candidate, if he continues with what he's been doing throughout the whole I'd agree with that too. I mean, I guess this kind of comes back to a philosophical. Imagine thing, if he like, wins the Con Smith, but not the Norris. <laughs> <laughs> How uh, dumb is everybody going to look then? <laughs> it's going to be pretty dumb if they have to start talking about Roman Yossi right now. The guy who's probably been on the beach for. Six weeks. <laughs> I got beat by Kale McCarr's team. I think but that I mean, happen. I, I think Vlad, I think, I, I think he would be in the conversation for sure. Because that's, you know, first of all, it's your, your goalie is always, you know, one of the obvious choices. And then it's, and then you start thinking of, you know, guys that offensively really push the team through. So at this point, would you say that Kemper winning the consummate is off the table? I mean, it, it would have to, like, if he has the series of his life and steals it to the Avs, like, obviously you're going to give it to him. <clears throat> but just as sort of that default pick for, you know, a team full of guys that were all pretty good, like, you wouldn't give it to him. No, I don't think so either. I mean, it kind of gets into a philosophical thought. Like, 
is it more kind of the body of the work in the playoffs or is it very like let's say finals focused because it's possible anybody could have an enormous series because I agree with you I do think McCarr probably should be the guy unless something just totally stupid happens and someone just takes it over I I think when you look at what the Avs have done to get to this point, they've lost two games total. Um, and that and That's rare. Uh, AJ was saying yesterday that seven teams in the last 40 years have done it. So, uh, you know, that, that's really rare. I mean, this is this is like a really special thing. Like, you know, neither the dynasty or the teams did this. Yeah, it is... It is pretty remarkable when you think about it. I also think from... You have to also think, like, the media is the one that picks the Con Smythe, and, you know, McCarr and McKinnon are the ones that are, you know, like, the superstar names. So they're automatically going to be the two that is probably going to be debated up in the press box, you know? So, um, I mean, I think, you know, if you're asking sort of like about the recency bias, you know, like obviously Miko's first two series, that was, you know, sort of a not great look for him, but he still kept scoring, but he was really good in this series. But Miko absolutely could have a huge finals. Right. I'm just saying like, all right, you know, it's like, he, you know, he wasn't that great in the first two series. He was against... Edmonton, and then if he has a really big series, you know, I think that could be on the table. Or even like Landy, you know, or I mean, if Kadri comes back and has meaningful contribution, you might think about him. But um, if if Kadri plays like half, at least, you know, let's say they win in six and he plays three or four games, yeah, a big part of it. Yeah, you look at that. But it's true, like, uh, McKinnon didn't do much in the Blues series. I mean, yes, the hat trick was amazing. But outside of that, he didn't really do much. But it is also true that that wasn't McCarr's strongest series either. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people have talked about how McKinnon has sort of, you know, been a little bit more defensive-oriented and sacrificing some offense to do that. And that's been important. I, I mean, I liked him. Really I liked him in the Edmonton. Yeah, I liked him in the Edmonton series. Like, I know I've been hard on McKinnon. I didn't really like him in the Blues series, but I liked him in the Edmonton series. So, it's fine that he wasn't lighting it up every game because I do think that he played well. Yeah. <clears throat> but I guess I mean, for me, I, I it would be really cool to see McCarr win the Smythe. I guess that's what I'd be hoping for. I mean. I hope for anyone that's an half wins the con smile. Yeah. But, um, but like you said, it would just be so, I mean, regardless if he wins the Norris or not, like it just seems like McCarr is destined to have his name on every single one of these trophies at some point in his career. Right. And I, I, you know, I think as soon as you win a con smile at, at his age, you're basically, you're up for every big trophy every year. Like he'll be nominated for the Norris in <laughs> oh, I mean, sure, but it also depends on points, you know, like, 
if he's not I'm really pretty confident they'll be there. <laughs> I mean, there always could be injury. There always could be, I don't know. Like, it is so points-based. Like, I know that a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter if he wins the Norris because he's going to eventually because he's that guy and he's going to get that kind of production. But you just can't count, like, the thing with McKinnon. Like, you just can't count on it. You know, like, McKinnon's been so close, but some years he's not close to winning it. Yeah. And it depends a lot on who the other guys are. If it, if some other guy has some crazy season, they're going to give it to him. But Like Taylor Hall. Because he was really good that year on a great team. Right, exactly. <laughs> but yes, you'd say the type of player he is, his age, he's already been a finalist twice. How is this guy not going to win at Norris? But it would just be super annoying if it takes four, five, six years just because of this situation or that or yada, yada. It's like, no, he deserves it. He should win it this year. I'll be upset if he doesn't win it. I mean, a cup would be nice consolation for that. Yeah. But... It's his award. He earned it. He's the best defenseman in the league this year, for sure. So it's it just, you know, whatever. That's how I feel about it. So my star, I guess, should be Makar, right? <laughs> he had a pretty good series. Uh, some of the, the two goals he scored were just absolute just like assassin daggers and they just couldn't contain him. They had no answer for him. And he did his job holding McDavid in check. Yeah. Um, and I, I will go with Miko because wow. you know, he, I, I think sort of putting him on the second line and, you know, taking over, at least some of the center duties for Kadri after he left the series. Um, you know, that, that not only showed his versatility, but it, it gives the Avs some versatility themselves. Um, you know, if they want to play him at center in the Stanley Cup final, I don't think they do. And he did have and he just, did have some good very, moments. If you look back to how he looked, you know, especially against the Blues early, early in that series, I mean, we're kind of wondering if he's injured or, or dope or what. Um, but he really looked good in this series. Uh, yeah, he had some really nice plays, like the hustle on the empty net goal and power play goal, which should have been the game winner, but wasn't. Yeah. Um, but. You know, he had that shift at the end of, and I forget which game it was, where he kind of took over defensively. Um, and that's just, that's not something a lot of people give him a lot of credit. And just showing that he can be that guy if called upon. Um, but I like it because we scratched him before. So. Yeah. So <clears throat> and I will say that, like, Kadri definitely would have been in contention for my star if he had ended up playing the whole series, and it's obviously not his fault he didn't. Yeah, I think that's fair, too. He, he was wrong, too. All right, let's move to scratches. Again, we've got another sweep on our hands, and 
I guess um, we kind of have to. I've got one though. I yeah, like Vlad's saying. I mean, we get it. We get the perspective here. You win all your games. You're in the cup final. You know that nobody's not going to truly rag on somebody, but. Um, I'd say Josh Manson. I mean, he was so bad in that game one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least the first three goals against, he had a major role. I'd say the so, first four. <laughs> yeah. The four was a total cluster, so I'm not going to say, like, oh, that was Josh. Yeah. But, yeah, he was a minus four, and it was an earned minus four. <laughs> so let's just say that. And, um... So, and and we kind of saw after that that you know he, that that isn't the second pairing with him and Jack Johnson. Exactly, I was gonna. Even though they list it that way every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like they have social teams. One thing, but you'd think the people who have been sitting up in the press box every day could kind of notice that a little bit more. That, um. Yeah, like Manson and Jack Johnson have definitely been made the third pair. Like Manson played basically about 14 minutes every game in this series. Johnson was about like eight or nine minutes. So, I mean, that is such a drastic shift from when they were playing, or when Manson at least was playing about 20 and Bo and EJ were playing about like 15 or 16. But the good thing about it is like, Byron has played so much more. He's playing around like 20, 21 minutes. And he really was functioning as the number three in this Oilers series. And he was on McDavid a fair amount of time. Like, it definitely was the Makar Taze assignment, but he was definitely like the secondary guy that they used to to shut it down the, the big boys on the Oilers. So, I mean, that's the positive side of this that. You know, Byram just had such a huge defensive series. But, like, Manson's been pretty up and down to, in his own regard. Like, there's a reason why he's been relegated to 14. Is He's just I, I, so inconsistent defensively. Like, he's definitely had some great moments. The goals, you know, the save in Game 6 against the Blues was... I mean, that that won the series in my mind, too. But... He's just not exactly the top four shutdown guy that even a lot of people still think he is when it's definitely not happening on the ice right now. And, I, I mean, just to contrast that, like, I, I think he'll play a lot better versus Tampa than he did against Edmonton just because I, I just think Edmonton's a poor matchup. But do you think he'll play more? I mean, do you think, like, they've decided that Byron's that guy now? Which is a good thing. I mean, I just, I, I think his game is going to fit against Tampa better. I think they'll look better. I, as far as how much they'll play, you know, that remains to be seen. But um, I, I just think that the, especially the Oilers' top line was able to expose some of his problems as far as decision making speed. But yeah, I know he he'll be able to grind it out better. <laughs> Right, and he's a physical guy, and that's you know that's kind of a plus against him because they're a bunch of goons. So, um, I mean, I don't dislike him, but I just think his he's way more inconsistent defensively than I think a lot of people are willing to say. Right, but I, I, I mean, if they did something like play Jack Johnson a whole bunch less and 
give some more minutes to Manson against Tampa and it's working out pretty good. I'm fine. Because I don't like Jack Johnson, it, it's low hanging fruit. Like he would be my stretch, but it's just, I mean, he barely played. And when he did, it, just, it wasn't all that meaningful. <clears throat> you know, I mean, it, when you're comparing it to what it could be, it could be Patrick Hammond. Uh, you know, it could be Ryan Murray. You know, I mean, you're looking at it, you're like, okay, you know, I can deal with this. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I agree with that. Johnson didn't play, has barely played, so it, you can't really scratch that, I guess. <laughs> like, right. He didn't do anything terrible. He didn't have opportunities. Well, that turnover for the breakaway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was pretty bad. But before that, Manson had one where he just, like, couldn't corral the puck. <laughs> I mean, I think the good thing about Jack Johnson is, like, I – He's very in tune with what his limitations are, and he's not going to really press it. And that's probably a really positive thing for your number six defenseman. I mean, yeah, as the bottom pair, they're fine. But I just think there's so the perception of Manson's way more than he is. But, um, like I said, I also agree with you. Like, maybe Tampa just fits his style better to. For him to be have more of an impact, hopefully. Plus, his dad doesn't coach for the Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> no, his dad can be back on Team Josh. <clears throat> do you have any scratch, Vlad? I do. I've scratched. I've had this scratch in the past before, so this shouldn't come as a surprise that I am once again scratching the Avs power play. They could do better, yes. So for better. Yeah. One for seven alone in, uh, what was that, game of two? Yeah. Including a five-on-three? Including two minutes. On three. Well, full five-on-three at that. I'm glad they showed up when they needed it in game four. That's great, but... Yeah, I mean, getting skunked on a five-on-three for two minutes and a five-minute major in the same series. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. And you swept... <clears throat> um, like proof if any was needed that that's not their strong point and that's not how they win games but you just expect a little bit more for sure and, I mean I, I get that they've been trying different things they have Lekin in there and like that Comfer there that's stuff put Nuke back there I mean you know it's. I, I just. I, I think they're having problems dealing with. Well, they didn't how use they power how play. they want to play and in, in on the power play and like teams are just not letting that royal road pass through. So it's just. Well, and they're not using power play two at all. Like I, I get it. The stars are on power play one, but sometimes it works as a change up. Like power play two has scored some goals in these playoffs. Sometimes just having a different setup, different look, you know, it can be yeah, successful. I, I do think, I do think the second power play unit did provide a change up. They definitely do things differently. Than that. 
you know, I, I'd almost rather see them do something like put the first unit on for 50 seconds a minute, put the second unit on for like that 30 seconds, and then switch back to the top unit. Because I, I think. Or hybrid the, it. Sometimes when you still have like Miko, but it's more the second unit, you know, at least you, you're, you're kind of doing both. You still have like some superstars out there, but you also are getting a different look. Well, I mean, I just, I, I think when you look at a team that has as much talent as the Avs do on the power play and they're being shut down so easily, that means that they've been scouted really well and they're very predictable. We've known this for years that, you know, the Avs are very predictable in their power play and they're showing it shut down easily. They just, they, they don't do a lot of different things. You put the second unit out there, it's, it's definitely a little more chaotic. It might not be any more dangerous, but if you're giving the opponent something different to think about, so I just hope for that. Earl, you may want to repeat that. You kind of got a little muffled on me. Um, I I think if you want to, if you want a good changeup, you use the chaos of the second unit. Um, because if, if you're predictable, you've got to give the opponent something different to think about. That's just the way you're going to get through this. I mean, if you keep trying the same plays with the same guys and they're shutting it down, like, you know, where do you go from there? There's really nowhere. So, um, uh, a little late to install a new power play. So you're, you're just going to have to use your personnel and their personalities, um, to give the opponent something different to think about. And I just think for this last series, you know, like, use all the tools, everything. Use all the talent you have. You know, you just... And they've had a good run this far with contributions from from a lot of different guys, and it's got them to where they are now. So hopefully they keep that up. So we kind of teased a little bit what to expect against Tampa here uh, in the upcoming final. Uh, do we want to go full on prediction at this stage or is there anything else that we want to tease about what the Avs can expect or what we can expect out of the Avs coming up against the defending champions here? I don't know. I, I think-, think we covered it. Like we haven't talked about Tampa a lot, but I do think it's, it's truly about what the abs do and what they can do. Like it shouldn't even really be so much about them. Like, you know, they're good. They're experienced. They have good players, great goalie. They know how to play their game and, and shut it down. But it's just so much about the abs and what they can do and their game, their players that I do think it's appropriate that we mostly talked about them. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I don't want to sell Tampa short. They're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. Um, but it, just from the, the times that I've watched them over the past couple of rounds, um, 
they're slow. They don't pay. They don't play with a lot of pace. They don't generate shots at a, a very good pace. Um, they're really good at clogging. We hate that, but we know how to defeat it. Um, I think it's really going to come down to how the ads are able to inflict their speed upon this game and whether they fall into the trap that the three previous opponents for Tampa have and um, try to beat them at their own game. I know Bednar is too smart to do that. I just, I don't see, I don't see them doing that. I see them going out and establishing what they want to do. Establishing them for establishing their presence in the neutral zone, establishing their defensive zone presence and the breakouts. Um, I just, I, I don't see the, I don't see it being a big deal. I think they've been really focused on that season. And I think we'll see in the first couple of games how easy it is for them to do that. Let me put this question forward to both of you. Tampa is trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup. They defeated Dallas in the bubble. And last year, Montreal in, in the final. It's probably fair to say that both Dallas and Montreal had limitations, let's say. With the Avs coming in, it's fair to, it's beyond fair to say that this is the most talented squad that the Lightning will have faced in defense of their title. Is it going too far to say because of the limitations that both Dallas and Montreal had that Tampa may possibly be considered a paper champion? I think there was a a little bit of it after the bubble because like so contrived. It was just such a unique experience. I think there was a little bit of that, but at the same time, like they've been good for years when they won it. It wasn't so- something random. Like if Dallas had won, it would have been like, well, that really was just the bubble champion. But, and then when they did it again, even though it was like the weird divisions and beating Montreal on a miracle run, who was a division opponent in the cup is bizarre. <laughs> and, um, I think that made us feel better too is that the Avs were legitimately good in a quote unquote normal season still. So I'd say no though. I'd say they've they've shown their dominance, you know, so with Vasilevsky, all the shutouts and the elimination games and they have put out two good offenses like Florida. You know, Leafs fans would say they were the true second place. You know, they were just such a tough out. Um, but every series is different, I guess. Like, they definitely haven't had to play a team like us in the cup, that's for sure. 
Um, but we haven't really faced a team like them. Like, Oilers and Nashville, I think maybe both of them are punching a little higher than, than their true worth. I, I do think St. Louis was legitimately a good team, and that was tough. But So it's hard to say, but I'll say no. I'll say no to your question, but you know, there's, there's a lot of factors, I think. I would say they're a paper champion, but I, I think that sort of the, they are closing out an era of Stanley Cup champions that probably won't look that great 20 years from now. Um, I think you look back at, at sort of how they played in winning their two cups. I think you look at St. Louis before them and, and even the, the Penguins teams before them. Um, those teams really won using a grindy defensive style. And I think that's the way the Avalanche are playing, sort of the, the new five-man attack that you know, is gaining more and more acceptance around the league. Um, that's going to be kind of the new paradigm as far as what you want to do building a team. I hope so. I really do think they've pioneered this. Like you hear more and more coaches say it, but it's one thing to say it; it's another thing to actually go out and execute it. But I think sort of the, <laughs> I think something that that really makes you think is all right. Like St. Louis played like Tampa does now, back when they won the cup, but they don't now. Um, like they don't quite have the personnel the Avs do in the back end to really play that, but they're a much more offensive team than they were when they won the cup. And, and which is surprising, way, yeah. Right, and you look at the way Pittsburgh plays now compared to when they won their cups a few years ago. They play a totally different game. They are much more of an attack rather than a counter trap team. So, you know, if you're seeing teams around the league that have had success, won cups. Um, Using that formula, and you know, you see a team like the Avalanche, sort of, uh, and I don't think they're pioneering. And I, I mean, I think they're one of the teams that that uses it and, and thinks this style is the way to play. Um, I mean, they're, you know, let's face it, they're they're really lucky to have a person that can play in that. Well, that that's it too. A lot of coaches might think that they want to play that way but it's going to take a while for these teams to get that kind of defense because even just three four or five years ago it was still the kind of you have your one offensive guy that runs your power play but you're going to keep him at 18 minutes because he doesn't do the stuff that the big strongs do right and- it's just, you know, i've seen like carolina like they, they've struggled with a, a lack of talent on the blue line and, and a lack of high-end scoring talent, but they're playing this way. They're executing it well, and during the regular season, they obviously did quite well with it. I think Florida did, too. But, so it's like you've, you've got but, you this know, cadre of teams. <clears throat> you've got this cadre of teams that want to play in this more offensive. Yeah, but they just stuff. don't have the defense. Like, Carolina doesn't have, really have the defensemen to, to run that. I know right. they have Dougie, but... You know, Not which anymore. is why I played Tony Tony this year, right? Um, but this is why I think that uh, you know someone like Byram is is a luxury for the Avs, but he would be such the piece that all these teams 
would use to execute this this type of new style. Tough for abs defensemen, you know, would would be highly desirable on any team. Um, you know, even Taves, you know, has gone from just being a cog in the wheel in New York, and he has learned this system and done really well in it. But it's just, you you know, I I think you can turn guys that maybe aren't, you know, obviously offensively gifted into um, players that can work in a system like this. Because I think the way Carolina does it is, you know, it's not with the, you know, first thought the primary goal of scoring goals it's it's to keep the puck out of your own zone like you know their best defenseman is a, is a defensive defenseman Jacob Slavin I think he had four goals this year well I think Taze is an example of that like he is a perfect fit here but I do think you know the, the system and the coaching and everything really definitely elevated the, the kind of player he is yeah, but I, I think that shows that there might be Taves all over the, the league that nobody knows about because they're just toiling away in, in sort of weird yeah. old school systems. Or you can make sure. guys into Taves. Like, um, you know, there are guys like, all right, Brady Shea, like the Rangers have traded him away because like Quinn didn't know how to take advantage of them. I mean, he did a lot better in Carolina. So I, I think it's very important that. You know, you're going to have to start playing this style sooner or later. I mean, I think this is the kind of thing, like 10 years from now, everybody's going to play this. <clears throat> I hope so. I I think it does make for better hockey. Right. And I just, I and I, you know, another thing that's going to help is they're going to be talented kids that are 11, 12, 13 years old right now that are going to look at guys like Heiskanen and McCard. Um, and they're going to say, like, you know what? Like, I don't want to play center coach. I want to be like him. I want to play defense. Like, get my offense going from there. And that's just going to build throughout juniors. And, um, you know, it's just going to be the, the way hockey is played. <clears throat> you know, you're just, you're not going to have that, those borders between positions that you kind of always had skating in the lanes staying where you're supposed to be kind of thing. It's, it's going to be a lot more fluid. Yeah, which does make it so exciting that Makar is that guy. Like, it just gives you chills thinking about it. Like, he's, he's revolutionizing the position. He's such a an example for all these kids. Like, what he's able to do. And like you said, you know, there is a shift towards that, but it, it's just when somebody like him is such a dramatic example of it. Like, it's not just sort of, but that he is, like, the pillar of it. And, you know, the Avs have leaned into it so much. Like, that is their identity. That's the way they play. It's it's more the forwards, but, which is why I never wanted to give up, like, what Bednar's viewpoint is, because I think he's done so much with reimagining what this defense could do. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, we were just ragging on Jack Johnson for not being that capable, but like he played this system all year 
and looked pretty good in it. And well, he got he, it. He wasn't doing it to so develop. It's not easy. Scoring, yeah. He wasn't doing it to do it. He wasn't doing it to develop scoring chances and things like that. He was using it as a way to stay out of his own zone. You know, <laughs> I think that's the way that the coaches are going to look at it. Is that if you use this style, like you, you know, you you don't need guys that are generating sixty, eighty points from the blue line to have success with it. You can have a guy that's you know scoring like 15, 20 points and have a lot of success with it because you're staying out of your own zone. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it's the new way to think about defense. But just to to get all the way back to your point, Vlad, um, you know, I, I do think that that kind of the the way that that Tampa plays is going to be looked back on not quite as favorably, just because it's it's kind of old school, and it, it you know it's it was old school when they were winning their cup the first year. So it, it's it's one of those things you kind of hope that, that if the Avs win the Cup this year and, and continue to have success and other teams like them kind of fall into the footsteps that you know it, it's going to be seen as sort of 2022 is the year that good triumphed over evil. <laughs> 2022, your tail took over the world. And suddenly Ewoks were dancing on the forest moon of Endor someplace. (laughs) So conversely, (laughs) so conversely, let me ask this question. Now the Avs have swept their way through two of the three rounds of the cup playoffs to make it to the two time defending champion. Does their path. Is their path delegitimized? as the easy route to victory or does it just no under does it underscore their strength to just bulldoze their way to the cup final to earn the right to reclaim lord stanley's cup after 21 years i mean i think they they have been tested i mean i think honestly st louis could beat almost anyone in the eastern conference um Maybe not Tampa, but you know they they might end up being the the, the second best team we faced in these playoffs. Um, that, you know, I mean, I, I think hope, they would have beat Edmonton. So <laughs> I, I think they would have too. Um, you know, and I, I think they they could have beaten the same teams that Tampa did to get where they were. Um, so I mean, I'll I'll say like I said before, I, I do think they were fortunate to play Edmonton in the conference finals, but I mean, I mean, you get they, beat, that. they beat Tampa. They, there's no argument, right? Because I, I mean, if, if you look at how the abs used to win, like they would, I mean, they were winning their division by like 30 points and stuff like that. When they first came to Denver, like they were just dominant. Like the West was just a waste of it. So it's 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 one of those things like you can't pick your opponents, but you just have to take them as they come. Um, but I, I mean, I do. I mean, I think even Nashville like gave them some tough problems to overcome. Like you know, they, even though they won game two against Nashville in overtime, 
You know, like Ingram really played well in that, but they you know, they came back and they solved it. Um, you know, I mean, they, I guess they, the question is: Are does sweep show dominance, or does it show that it was too easy? I think uh, I mean a little of both. I mean, I, like you expect a team that's going to contend for the cup to sweep in the first round, right? Like you know, one versus eight matchup, like that should be a sweep. But sometimes, right. sometimes it's hard, though. I mean. I mean, yeah. you know, like I've seen it, and it, junior is junior, but I've seen it so many times at junior. Like sometimes you just have a really tough round and, but that doesn't mean you're not good. It just, it just, it's almost like you need that test. You need the adversity to, to get going. So I don't devalue anybody because they had to go seven or I don't think because Tampa had to go seven against the Leafs doesn't mean they're good, but then they swept the next one. But I don't think they're not good because they swept Florida. It's just every series is different. And um, so you could have like an easy one and a hard one. And, you know, like the Avs had to win in overtime in, in their three series. It just kind of feels like that's just something you have to do along the way to get to the cup. You have to win in overtime. And they won. It was three of the four that they were in overtime. I forget what it was, but like, didn't the Islanders sweep and then get swept last year? I try to forget the Islanders. Right. <laughs> but it's, I, I know they, I, I know they've done that at some point in the last couple of years. Um, so you're right. It's just, it, every series but, is different. Like, you know, JB says this all the time. I mean, you know, every series is different and just, you know, you prepare as best you can every night. Um, you know, I, I just I, I don't think a lot of coaches take a, a big picture view when they're in the playoffs because it's just you know, I don't your think goal you is to win the next yeah. game. Yeah. <clears throat> as long as you win the next game, you're doing okay. I mean, I have seen a little bit like, oh, the Avs only played backups and, and they haven't played a good goalie and, you know, have they really beat anybody that good? And like, if you want to find excuses, you always can, right? Like it's never, team's never going to be perfect. They're never going to prove everything, but if they beat Tampa, I just, there's no argument that they didn't. Well, first of all, to say that nobody deserves it after winning the cup is crazy. Like you had to win 16 games. So however you did it, you did it. But yeah. To end a, a three-peat dynasty by winning, that's – there's that's really not just no – that. I mean, Tampa has been dominant for years. I mean, they, they've won the Cup the last two years, but they've been a, you know, a very strong team for, you know, six, seven years. Right. So it's – you know, you wouldn't even worry about the storytelling of like, oh, this was the weakest Cup or something like that. It just – Right. You know, it just writes itself so easily. <laughs> that, um, like, I mean, honestly, like, you know, like the Panthers were rollover in 96. And that, that doesn't diminish what the Avs had to go through to get that cup because, you know, at that point, you know, the, the cup was basically decided in the Western Conference final. And that's fun. I mean, um, if it was the Rangers and they had beat the Rangers, I mean, you're never going to apologize for winning a cup. You're going to take it and run, but... I think that would have been significantly easier and it would have opened the door more to like, okay, who did the abs really beat here? <laughs> but you know, that that 
like you said, that you can only play the team that's put in front of you. Yeah, like I, I don't think the Avs will be looked on the way St. Louis's Cup was. I mean, um, you know, I, I think St. Louis is probably looked upon as one of the weaker teams to ever win the Cup. But and does I it just, also depend what you do after? Like a lot of these one and dones are easy to be like, oh yeah, that team won the cup, huh? But if it's the start of something, if it's yeah. the start of multiple conference finals, cup appearances, you know, that's the problem with Dallas and Montreal. It's like, what did they do the immediate year after? Oh yeah, they sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it kind of doesn't really legitimize their position, right? Right. And there are a lot of really bad teams that lost in the finals. It's like if you if you take it to that level, like yeah, you can you can pick and choose a lot of teams that are really bad just for the last that reason. But you know, hopefully this isn't it for the Avs, but you know, I am trying to enjoy it and appreciate it because you never know. It is hard to get here. Like how hard was it to even win damn round two? You just never know. Yeah. But with the players they have with Makar for five more years at least, and like the main pieces should all be there. You know, we're we're talking about it the other day. Like, it's been twenty one years. Like, I was thirty two when they won the cup the last. Time. So it's just a, <clears throat> you know, as a fan, you got to appreciate it. Like you're saying, you know, it's this. This is something that. You know, you may be a one and done. You, you know, the Avs might make the finals for the next three or four years. So now you, you just don't know. But, you know, they're here now, and it's great that we're able to appreciate it. I mean, it's just crazy. They went from, you know, finally getting over that round two hurdle with St. Louis to sweeping Edmonton and being in the cup in like a week. Like, it's just a, a lot to go through mentally to get from one place to the other. But, it also doesn't feel unusual. Like it doesn't feel like some big miracle or totally lucky or once in a lifetime. Like this is the abs. They kind of frustrate us sometimes, but they win all the time. And here we are, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to that extent, it feels normal. Like, of course this team's still playing. Of course (laughs) we're still talking about these people. It's the way they unfold. (laughs) <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's hot out and there's hockey and it's not because of COVID <laughs> <laughs> so in in a way it'll be really weird just when it's over which of course we won't be bored because the off season is going to come in like five minutes so that'll be interesting too but it will be weird when this team's done but you know hopefully I don't think this is nearly the end though i mean they, they should have this group together and have a couple more shots at it so yeah but you never know enjoy it enjoy your game well, and, the, and the thing with having someone like bednar has now been there for a long time and doesn't look to be doing it you know you, you get the feeling that you could give Bednar just about anyone and do something good with it. It might be only like Columbus good, but you know he could take a group of, of players and, and get the most out of them and, and maybe more people expect them. 
take a picture. Yeah, I mean, he whipped Obey Cabell into shape. So. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, coaches generally have a shelf life, and, and like, Bednar is past the shelf life of most coaches. Uh, one team, you know, it's like I, I would love to see him have like a Lindy Ruff at Buffalo 14 year run or something like that, as, as long as things keep going. I think he might have a run as long as they keep this group together, which we'll see if that's three years, five years, maybe longer. But you know, he should definitely be the guy to coach this group I, to get to this far is proved that he is the guy for these players. Like, I don't. You know, there might be more adversity down the line, but I don't think you can really argue like, oh, so-and-so would get more out of these guys. Yeah. Like, that was constant before. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as always, I still don't think the worst thing in the world would be a little fresh thinking with the assistants. Yeah. I don't think that's nitpicking. I just think that is reality. Like, sometimes you, you do need some new voices, new thoughts, new approaches. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone took off, you know, knowing that. Yeah, that too. Like, they're, yeah, they're, I think fair. they're still in vacancies right now. So there are obviously people that are waiting to see you know, what happens with some of the assistants. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I haven't heard his name, but you're right. Like, nobody's been hired yet. Right. So, so they're all waiting for something. Right. The, the teams that want name brand coaches are going to wait until the name brand coaches make their decision. But, but there's always sort of poaching the, the guy that mentally needs for sure. So we'll see what that plays out. We got some work to do first. <laughs> yes. Uh, should we predict? Let's do it. One last round of predictions. I will say, saying absence six has served me well thus far. So I'm going with it. Absence five has done well for me. Even though I've never <laughs> hit it. I would have been right against St. Louis, and I was right about the sweep in the first round. Um, but I think... Uh, I, I think five feels about right. And that's not a disrespectful way to look at Tampa. I just I, I just think it, if the Avs are going to play their game the way they want to, the series is not going to go 6-7. Earl, by the grace of God and the fact that I will be in attendance for game five, I hope you're correct. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, of course it'd be cool to win at home. I, it would be great, a group for the fans. It's never happened, um, but I, I I don't know. They've done well on the road. They've closed out all these series on the road. I, th I think it'll be similar to the St. Louis series, so that's kind of kind of where I'm at. I've been wrong on all of my predictions so far, so uh, I think I'm going to try and stick with that too. So I I however firmly think that the Avs will. Uh, Win this on the road, so I I say Avs in six. Well, that'd be their second cup in Florida. <laughs> I 
I saw on Twitter actually after I think after the uh, Rangers got eliminated that the Avs have never lost a Cup final nor have they ever lost to a team based in Florida for the <laughs> in the final. So you know, I was thinking like, what Colorado team has ever really won a championship at home? Like, obviously the Super Bowls are never at home. Avs won twice on the road. You think about it, isn't DU always somewhere else for the Rosen Four? I'm sure there is some team in there, or like the Colorado Crush or something, or something that was 40 years ago, but <laughs> really thinking off the top of my head, and my husband couldn't think of one either, so. Well, 2001 was one on home ice. Yeah, it was. Was it? Yeah, yeah. it was. Then they, they won the President's Trophy that year, right? They did. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I brought that up, and, and I thought the Avs won both times on the road. No, no, like Florida was definitely on the road. But okay, well, cut that whole part out then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen that a lot of places too. You're, was I, it because they were wearing white? Wanted. Maybe people thought yes. they were wearing white. Is that why <laughs> people no. forget? Yeah. That was the home white era. Okay, we'll cut that whole part out. Yeah, uh, aside from what, who was their most recent champion? Den- Denver winning the Super Bowl a few years back? Yeah, I mean, that was in San Francisco. Yeah. And then the Rapids won their MLS Cup in 2010 in Toronto. Okay, yeah. So, and, yeah, it would be really nice to have something to celebrate on home ice. Yeah. And as you mentioned, DU won their championships. Not Elsewhere. here. Yeah. So, an impassioned plea from Avs fans. <laughs> however, you, however you win, just win, baby. Find a way. Yep. Has the Colorado team ever won the Junior College World Series? Because that's in Colorado. <laughs> that's digging deep, Earl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our schedule for the Stanley Cup Final is as follows. Game one is this coming Wednesday, June 15th at Ball Arena. That is a 6 o'clock start. Uh, of course, puck drop will likely be, what, 6.20-ish on Wednesday. So, so around there, uh, game two uh, a rare two-day break between Game 1 and Game 2. That uh, means Game 2 will be on Saturday the 18th, also 6 p.m. Uh, puck drop, Ball Arena. The series will shift to Tampa for Game 3 on Monday the 20th, 6 p.m. Uh, Denver start. And Game 4, Wednesday the 22nd, in Tampa, 6 p.m. start. All games can be viewed on ABC, ESPN, ESPN Plus, and your various international streaming or, or domestic cable satellite options wherever you are geographically located. By the way, that game five is on the 24th, so uh, that is a Friday. That would be 
But time will tell. Who knows? Maybe the Avs have somehow, maybe they have another sweep in them. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. It would be wild. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Don't rule it out. But as it's we've seen. Tough. It's tough to win the cup. I expect some frustrating times. It's going to be smooth as soon. <laughs> <laughs> I referred to my earlier comment. Don't care how it's done. Just get it done. Find a way. It's funny. After they made that their slogan, how much you hear it. You notice it more. Like players say it. You know, Kale says it a lot. I'm like, is he trying to be like, you know, cheeky or does he just really just say it a lot? <laughs> maybe they got it from him. Maybe. Maybe. But no, I don't know. I would think that's something he would do. Just kind of like drop it in there all the time. But. Never know. It may go on to live like all other hockey cliches. Skate a full 60, get pucks in deep. Keep your head up. Find a way. Find a way. (laughs) (laughs) Stanley Cup fever. Catch it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not exactly sure what we're going to record again, at least at this point. So uh, we've been actually very successful only recording after rounds are over. So maybe we should stick with that. I wouldn't want to be the gyms. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. would, that would suck. <laughs> well, three nothing, have a show, and then lose four straight. No. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes, I guess. All right, so before we wrap up, any final words before we uh, head off to the cup final? The big goal from Bo's coming. I know it. And new. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's fun being on the ride. Thanks, everyone, for joining us that's still listening. You guys are all champs in our book. Um, so yeah, we, we're glad this is going to last just a little bit longer and we'll see how it goes. We could have been on the beach with Roman Yossi, but we're still here. We'll party with Stanley. (laughs) Earl, any final thoughts? Get it done in five. It's all I ask. Find a way. And with that, we appreciate you listening. And until you hear our voices next time, we catch you then.